Good morning, Bethel. I'm so glad to be with you. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors of the church, and um, we're online again this week. And so I know uh, I'm a lot like you. You're a lot like me. We've been uh, watching the news and, and reading it where um, we read news and, and clicking into that. And all of us are um, seeing the extreme of reactions. And maybe you're feeling the extreme of reactions, the um, one minute thinking, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. And then the next minute wondering, it, how in the world is this happening? Are we blowing all of this out of proportion? Um, there's this reality where, you know, um, we can get caught off guard by an anxiety that we can't control. Um, an anxiety, an anxiety that, that sneaks up on us, a, a worry or a dread that seems to, to hang in the air or fall over us. Maybe some of it is just being stir crazy of being inside for, for so many days, um, uh, day upon day. And the, the change of pace or the restlessness or the, um, the, the total dis, disruptance and inconvenience of life. And so I think as I was thinking about preparing um, for this morning and as preparing and looking at what um, Paul is writing to the Romans. I think I'm reminded this morning, and I want us to be reminded that, listen, um, theology helps us in times like this. When we ask and answer the question, when, when we remember what it is to be the people of God, or um, maybe for some of you, it's just remembering that, oh, oh, okay, this is what God's word says about who God is. So not only does, does theology help us, I think also history helps us and how the people of faith for um, century after century and generation upon generation that have faced um, great disturbances in their life and great inconveniences or, and, and sufferings and persecutions and, and hardships. And we see that the people of faith throughout all the generations they were not disappointed with God. In fact, they found great confidence and joy and hope and, and um, in the midst of suffering and persecution and hardship and uncertainty. You know, there's also a third thing. Not only does our theology help us, not only does history help us, but, but we have this future hope that helps us. The, the promises of God for um, his people. You know, suffering and hardship and uncertainty and inconvenience and, and um, the things that we feel a true sense of, of dread or um, fear about. You, you see, we're reminded God speaks though his promises. When God speaks his promises, he speaks his promise into those things. And the things that we experience, the, the, this inconvenience or disturbance or coronavirus or, um, uh, or for some generations, it's been, it's been war um, in their land and on their soil. Or, but, but these things, they, they do not nullify God's promises. In, in fact, these occasions are the occasions in which we're meant to remember God's promises, to, to cling to God's promises. John Piper sent out a letter this week, and um, I thought it was great. Uh, 
um, a letter he wrote. It's called uh, Coronavirus in Christ. And so I'm just going to read a, a, a paragraph of it because I think it's helpful. And then um, we'll get into Romans chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse uh, 22. But here's what, here's what Piper says, and I, I think it's instructive for us today. He says, it matters little what we think about the coronavirus, but it matters forever what God thinks. He's not silent about what he thinks, and scarcely a page in the Bible is irrelevant for this crisis. His voice is not only true, it's perfectly wise for every situation. God's word in these times are not only true and wise, but they're also precious and sweet. And the sweetness is not lost in this moment of bitter providence, not if we've learned the secret of sorrowful yet always rejoicing, 2 Corinthians 6.10. The secret is this, knowing that the same sovereignty that could stop the coronavirus and doesn't is the sovereignty, the very sovereignty, that sustains the soul in the midst of it. Indeed, more than sustains sweetens with hope that for those who trust him, his purposes are kind, even in death. It's a good word for us this morning to remember in the midst of of times that seem very uncertain and times that can be very trying and times that that put us in places where we feel very out of control and, and don't know exactly what the next weeks hold. Well, that brings me to um, Romans chapter 15. And so we looked at Romans chapter 14 this last week. And if you clicked in, you got to hear um, each of the campus pastors teach a portion of it. But this week we're in chapter 15. And the first part of chapter 15 actually is a continuation of what was being talked about in 14 when he was talking about uh, when he was addressing weak believers and strong believers and mature believers and and immature believers and and how do how do how do people of faith at different places in their in their Christian life different different places you know along the journey how how do they still live united and so he continues that throughout the beginning of 15 and then he turns the corner in chapter 15 and he begins to communicate to Rome and to say to them, okay, here's my plan. I'm writing this letter because I'm I'm coming to you. And in chapter one, he said, hey, listen, I'm eager to get to you. I can't wait to get to you. I want to preach the gospel. I want to come and be mutually, uh, reciprocally uh, beneficial to each other. And so here in chapter 15, what he's doing is he's going to give them a snapshot of his plan. And he's going to say, I'm, um, my plan is that I'm going to head to Spain. And on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop in Rome. And I want to spend time with you. And I want to uh, be encouraged by you. And I want you uh, to be encouraged by me. And um, I want you to support the, the, my ministry. You know, Spain is the next frontier. But before I do that, I've got to take this collection that I've been gathering for the church in Jerusalem, for, for the, for the um, church that's suffered uh, persecution and hardship and um, been isolated in the midst of their own land. Um, they're in poverty. And so we've t- taken up this collection, the, the, the Gentile churches. And so I'm going to take that to Jerusalem. And then after I deliver that, then I'm headed to Rome. And so Paul is going to be writing about those plans 
in uh, chapter 15. And on the surface, you think, well, that's simple and that's a plan. And, you know, why is that part of God's inspired scripture? And I think by the end of um, verse 29, we'll catch a glimpse of why it is so beautifully preserved in God's word that Paul would give us a snapshot of what he was thinking and what he was planning when it came to Rome. So if you would follow along with me, I'm going to start in verse 22 and I'm going to read to verse 29. And here's what it says. It says this, for, um, or he says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. And, and what he means is he points back up to verse 19 and says, I've um, I had this ministry and I was doing this ministry, and uh, but it, um, I, I've, I've preached the gospel everywhere I need to preach it. And, and while that's an overstatement in some, reason, in some ways, uh, his ministry was, was preaching the gospel. But then he says in verse 22, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 23, he says, listen, I no longer have room in these regions. And he doesn't mean by that that, that the regions that he's been preaching in, in his first missionary journey and second missionary journey and third missionary journey, he's not saying those regions are saturated, but he is saying they're seeded. Paul has planted the seeds of the gospel and churches have been born. They have been planted in that soil. And so what Paul knows is that the ministry that he has, this ministry of taking the gospel, it's more than any one man can do. It's not, it's not Paul's ministry alone. And that the ministry of saturation, the ministry of going deep, the ministry of, of going to um, all the, the world and, and all the neighborhoods and all the houses and all the families, that's the ministry of the church. And so what Paul's saying is that in those regions, I've preached the gospel, the churches have been planted, and the church's ministry from there will then saturate the regions. That's what he means by that. In verse 25, he says, And at uh, present time, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And you could go to um, Acts chapter 11, verses 27. You can see there's a famine that's come upon Jerusalem. Not only that, there's been persecution that's taken place. Um, in the, the, the Christian church in Jerusalem, the, the Jews have been persecuting them and shutting them out. And so uh, they haven't been able to have work and, and, and do the things that they needed to do. So they were suffering. The church in Jerusalem was suffering a great poverty. And he says in verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia, which you could read the church in Philippi and in Corinth. And so there's some other churches around there, but those are the primary churches in those areas. They've been pleased to make uh, some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. What Paul's saying is that um, this is, um, they're not paying the the Jews back. They're, it's not that the Gentiles are paying like a temple tax for the gospel that they received. What Paul is saying is that this is a token. It's a symbol. It's a, it's a way that they could, with material um, blessings, give back 
to Jerusalem and to the church where, where the gospel originally came from, where they were the beneficiaries of, that their material blessings are a symbol of the spiritual blessings that they'd received. If you were a Gentile in Philippi, or you were a Gentile in Corinth, or you were a, a Gentile in um, Colossae, or in the region of the Galatians, or, or even in Rome, that you were the beneficiary, that the greatest treasure that you ever received in all of your life, that treasure started right out of Jerusalem. That your treasure didn't come from an emperor. The greatest treasure in your life didn't come from a king. The greatest treasure in your life didn't come from a traitor that was from an exotic land. The greatest treasure in your life was the gospel. And it came from um, a marginalized and persecuted and um, uh, not desirable people from a place that most of them had never been, Jerusalem. And so what Paul's doing is he is, uh, by, by, way of, by way of token, but by way of real support for the Jews in Jerusalem, real support for the church in Jerusalem, he is symbolically taking this gift to say um, that this represents the, the treasure that we've received. Here is, here's a token of that treasure back. It is, um, in some ways, it's like the fruit of the gospel, a symbol of the fruit of the gospel that goes back to where it all began. And then in verses 28, he says, When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what, was, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know, I want to talk about those few verses for a minute. Paul, he wanted to come to Rome. He knew that he um, longed to go there. Paul also knew that he had a ministry that he needed to see fulfilled. And so a longing in Paul's heart began long before he was going to be free to pursue that longing. He um, wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go west. On his way, he wanted to stop at Rome. He wanted to um, see the church and encourage the church and be encouraged by them. To, and he says, enjoy your company for a while. It's a word uh, that comes, um, it means to, to be satisfied um, fully and completely by your company. And so what Paul's doing is he, he's going to go there. He wants to um, gain some support. He, he wants to uh, maybe pick up a companion or two or an assistant. He, he, he wants to prepare himself to head off to Spain, and Rome's going to be um, his, his new base of operations. That's what he's hoping. And it's going to take him to the fringes of the Roman Empire and into the world of the barbarians, outside of the, um, the Pax Romana, uh, Romana the, the, the peace of Rome, into the wild of the world. That's what it is that he wants to do. But before he goes there, before he goes to Rome, he's going to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's plan seems simple. I'm going to go to Jerusalem I'm going to take this gift. I'm going to deliver the gift. And Paul needs to, he feels like he needs to go and deliver the gift because 
relationally, he needs to tie up some loose ends. The, the unity of the church between the Jews and the Gentiles was still fragile at this point. In fact, unity in the church is always a little bit fragile because it requires humility. And humility has to always be um, nurtured and, and cared for and, and guarded. And so Paul needs to go and he wants to look those leaders in the eye and he wants to tell them that he loves them and he wants them to see how well the church is doing and, 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 and the fruit. He wants them to enjoy the fruit of the gospel and, and wants them to share in it. And so along the way, though, Paul is warned. He's warned by a prophet. You can go to Acts and you can see that. A prophet warns him to say, Paul, don't go. If you go, um, something bad is going to happen to you. And, and I think Paul already was feeling some of that. So the Spirit of God... Um, was unsettling Paul about it, and, and not necessarily in a way that says, Paul, don't go, but in a way that was preparing him. And, and, and the senses that Paul had, he knew that something awaited him. In fact, he's going to pray in the next few verses right here in Romans 15. He's going to ask the Roman church to pray for him while he's in Jerusalem. And so he goes, and um, as, he, as he gets there, um, Paul, you know, he's got a clear conscience. He, he uh, announces what his plans are. And um, he often, you know, has to explain um, after the fact how his plans didn't go the way they, that he thought they were. In fact, he had to write to the Corinthians and say, I, I was coming to you and then I didn't get to come to you. And I'm sorry. And it had nothing to do with you. Um, it had everything to do with my schedule and what happened to me. And so Paul wasn't afraid to make plans, but he also knew how to hold those plans loosely. There is a confidence Paul had when he made those plans to, to walk in that direction, open to whatever it is that may come. Here's what Paul didn't do. He didn't try to predict the future. He didn't try to control events. He didn't try to manipulate outcomes. He just knew that the plans that he made and then began to walk in the direction of those plans he trusted God, come what may. Now, the rest of the story, if you will say, is that Paul does actually end up going to Rome. He goes to Jerusalem, and, and he will ultimately end up in Rome like he'd planned. But the deal is, none of it went the way Paul thought it was going to go. What happens, he gets arrested in Jerusalem. He is taken under Roman authority, under Roman guard and Roman custody. He goes on this long and winding journey that includes a shipwreck and getting bit by a snake and um, all of these crazy things that happen. And finally, he ends up in Rome and he, he goes um, um, under custody. He's under arrest in Rome. And we never actually find out if Paul goes to Spain or not. In, in fact, um, what, we, what we do know is that the way that Paul thought he was going to Rome wasn't how he got to Rome at all. We do know that the timing in which Paul thought he would arrive in Rome wasn't the timing in which he arrived in Rome at all. You know, that's why when you get to verse 29, it's so fascinating to me because it is a statement. It's a it is a verse that is so full of hope and so full of trust 
and so full of theological comfort. I mean, it makes me wonder how much Paul really knew about what was to come. I get the sense that he felt something lingered out there, but, but couldn't imagine what it would be. And, and, he, and he probably couldn't have imagined the time that it would have taken for him to get to Rome or the detours that it would bring or the, the inconvenience or the, the hardships that he would endure. Yet the statement, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So full of confidence and trust and hope. So free from anxiety and worry and the need to control the future. Paul's confidence wasn't in the, in, you know, in, in, in how things um, would go. It, 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 his confidence wasn't in things going according to his plan. His confidence was in Christ. In fact, in Galatians, he'll say, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And he knew that, that no matter how he got to Rome, he would come to Rome in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know, it's amazing to think that, that under um, guard and in custody and enduring hardship and detour and travel and delay and inconvenience and disturbance, that that would end up being the fullness of the blessing of Christ that Paul speaks about. You know, the question of, did Paul ever get to Spain? It's a great question. N.T. Wright, in his um, commentary, has a great answer to that. He says it this way. He says, there's no evidence that Paul ever did make it to Spain. But his desire to do so, and the fact that he wrote Romans as part of the preparation for such a trip, points out an extremely important lesson for all of us. Perhaps God sometimes allows us to dream dreams of what he wants us to do, not necessarily so that we can fulfill all of them. That might just make us proud and self-satisfied, but so that we'll take the first steps towards fulfilling them. And perhaps those steps, as they appear to us, the first steps, are in fact the key things that God actually wants us to do. Paul may not have gotten to Spain, that didn't matter. The gospel got there fairly soon anyway. What mattered then has mattered enormously in the whole history of the church is that as part of his plan to go to Spain, Paul wrote Romans. We should never underestimate what God will do through things which we see as small steps to a larger end. You know, here's a couple of principles that I might um, press into us on coming from this. That I, I think that as we read these verses, one of the things we can come away with is that there is a ministry that every believer has. Um, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You, the, the, the good works that you have been um, made to do, those were ordained for you. They were planned for you. They were set out, laid out for you before the foundations of time, Paul will say in Ephesians 2.10 that there's a ministry that every believer has and there's a missionary mission that every church has and neither of those are complete until the trumpet sounds. That you as a believer are being drawn by God further into God's will and his plan for your life. The second thing I would say is that the desires of our heart 
Those longings that we feel, they often correspond to God's will in our life. Though we must submit to his timing and his ways and his purposes. You see, the reality that we find is that suffering and hardship, and this is the third principle, that suffering and hardship hardship often are the companions of God's will, the companions of our heart's desire. You know, when Paul writes Philippians, he's in jail, and um, one of the things that, that, that strikes you as you read the letter to the Philippians is that Paul is filled with joy. He's under um, arrest. He is in prison, and yet he is filled with joy. Often Paul will talk about the suffering that he endured and the hardships that he endured or the beatings or the, um, the mockery or the shame. And yet what rises out of that over and over and over again in Paul's life is joy. Joy doesn't come from the ability to control the situation. Joy doesn't come from ease of life. What we see is in the, in the Bible that the model is that joy is born out of suffering and hardship. Joy comes hand in hand with God's plan, the desires of our heart as they are forged through, they are refined by the sufferings and the hardships and the obstacles and the, and the disturbances, the disruptions of our life. You know, I would say this, this is a good time, this disruption of our life. It's a good time to audit your desires. See, hopefully, I pray that you've had time to to listen to what's going on inside of you. If you're like me, you're probably a little stir crazy, probably a little restless, and, and it looks like we've got a couple of more weeks of it. But this is also this great time to, to pause, to hit reset, to sit quietly and to listen and to hear what it is that's going on inside of us, to hear what it is that God's doing. You know, if you were to list all the activities that you know previously have been jammed into your life and all the worries and all the anxieties, and you know, how did all of that point in the direction of your desires? You know, I would ask you to, to, to ask the Lord, this is a good prayer, ask the Lord to stir in you the desires of your new heart, your new creation. What are those desires? And then I would encourage you, so discuss that. Discuss that with your spouse. Discuss that with a friend, those desires. And then begin to try to put language to what you think those desires might look like. And you don't have to worry about how it ultimately turns out. You're just looking for the direction in which to step. And I would say this, that you can trust the Lord to direct those steps every bit of the way. You know, I think it would be great to ask the Lord to reveal what what kind of help that you would need on this journey, like Paul will say in this section. You know, what what do you need the most? Is it training? Is it um, an assistant? Is it information? Is it counsel? Is it prayers? Likely a combination of all of those things. See, I'm praying that this time of disruption in our way of life, I'm praying, and I want you to pray with me, that it would be the seeds for the fruit of the gospel to come. That that I pray a generation of missionaries and pastors and 
pioneers and educators and elders and deacons and small group leaders and Sunday school teachers, that 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 would take root now during this soil of inconvenience and this time of disruption. Wouldn't that be great? And that in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now that we'd see fruit that came from a gospel movement born out of a crisis. You know, the truth is history tells us that it happens this way. And I think we should pray for that. We should ask God to work out his plans and then ask him for the grace and the strength to embrace any suffering or any hardship that may accompany it. What's stirring in you? Um, what, um, and who, who have you talked to about it? And, and who um, have you told and, and how are you praying? So I want to encourage you to seek out that conversation with somebody today whether it's for a fa- through a FaceTime or uh, through a text or through a phone call or through a Zoom conference that you'd reach out and say, listen, I've had a couple of weeks and, and I've heard the, the, my soul stirring and I just need somebody to talk about this with. I encourage you to do that. I'll close this way. I love how Piper closed his letter this week and so I'll share it with you and then we'll pray. He says this, He says, therefore, God not only comprehends the coronavirus, he has purposes for it. God does nothing and permits nothing without wise purposes. Nothing just happens. Everything flows from the eternal counsels of God. All of it is wisdom. All of it is purposeful. For those who trust Jesus Christ All of it is kindness. For others, it's a merciful wake-up call. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If you would, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would do what only you could do. And that is that in the midst of this great disruption and inconvenience and father for some among us a a hardship and a time of suffering the loss of jobs and income and security father the 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 season of uncertainty father I, i pray that you would do what only you can do and that is that you would draw um this this peace into our lives, that we would know your peace and that it would surpass all understanding. And that, Father, we would come to the place even now of trusting you with what you're doing. Father, I pray we'd be good hearers of your word. I pray we would be sensitive to your spirit. Father, I pray we would be bold to act on or to move in the direction of the things that we hear. Father, I pray for a a movement. I, I pray that there would be fruit, that the seeds now would be planted for a, a gospel harvest in the years to come. And Father, that the things that you're doing in our lives, I pray you would have your way. I pray for the 
protection of those that are vulnerable. Father, I pray for the needs to be met for those that um, find that, that they're in great need. Father, would you give us eyes to see that? Would you um, give us um, hearts and, 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 and mercy to reach out in the midst of that? And Father, that in all of this, at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month, that Father, you would get the glory and we would have experienced what you mean for our good. And so we ask this the only way we can, and that is in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.